We sure have been blessed with music this morning, so thank you, everybody, that has participated in that, including you, because you've sung. That's been good. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Last week, we looked at one of the parables. There's eight parables in this passage, and we're going to look at a few more, not all of them today, just a few more. Matthew 13, we're going to begin reading in a, in a moment, in verse 31. I don't know what your family was like growing up. One of the things that was a big part of my family were family reunions. Anybody been to a family reunion recently or you got one coming up? A few of you. Some of you are like, what's a family reunion? Family reunions for us were a big event, 100 people or so. And uh, we'd usually go to a lake somewhere or some, somewhere you, where you get picnic tables and everybody would bring food and just a great event. But one of the things I remember about family reunions, my mother and a lot of times my aunt would kind of pull me aside and say, now, now who's that over there? And I don't. I don't recognize them. I don't, I'm not sure they're part of our family. <laughs> and when you get a big enough family reunion, if you're just hungry and you're at, <laughs> at the place, you could probably show up and eat. And people would just assume, well, he must, he must be related to Gladys. Well, here's what happens in this passage. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And some of the people that are eavesdropping are the religious people. And they've been coming to the family reunion for years. But they come now to the family reunion that Jesus is hosting, and they're saying, I don't recognize any of these people. They don't look like part of the family. And if that's not bad enough, what's worse is they hear Jesus telling them they're not part of the family. Imagine if you were at your family reunion, and you're wondering, who is that over there? And finally the leader comes up to you and says, who are you? And you're like, I come every year to this family. I recognize some of these people, but some of them I don't recognize. You don't belong here. Now, Jesus is inviting them to become part of the family, but he's speaking to people who say, it's not up to you to invite me to be a part of this family. I was born into this family. And in a spiritual sense, looking at what Jesus is saying, that's why the religious people were so upset with Jesus. That's why they were plotting to put him to death. And so Jesus tells these parables. Let me read the parables. Last week we looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares, and Jesus tells that parable, then he tells a couple more, and then he explains the parable of the wheat and tares. So we're going to go back and pick up the two that we skipped last week and then pick up three more. Let me read the whole passage to you in Matthew 31, beginning in verse 31. Excuse me, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 31. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like... A mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This is to fulfill what was prophesied or spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. And then verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking the fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, 
and gathering fish of every kind. And when it is filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers. But the bad fish they threw away. Actually, just the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take over, take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus tells eight parables in this passage. We're looking at five, and some of them are just real short. In fact, the one we're not looking at today is just one or two little lines. He's telling parables. In fact, his disciples ask him, why do you speak in parables? And he said, it's because there's some people that hear me that aren't going to get it. In fact, the word parable means to place one thing alongside of another thing. What is he doing? He's taking something they're very familiar with, like wheat, or like a sower going out to sow seeds, or in this case, a mustard seed, or fine pearls, things they're familiar with. He's taking those and then placing the kingdom of heaven right beside that and saying it's, it's like that. Because he's describing the kingdom of heaven, which they really didn't get, and he's trying to use something they did get to say, here's how it's like that. So the first point this morning is the kingdom of heaven is about exponential growth and an exponential impact. Remember somebody asked me one day, they said, would you rather me give you a million dollars today or take a penny and double it every day for 30 days. And, of course, I'm thinking, you know what? Either one's good with me. I'll take the million. Because that, that sounds better, right? I mean, how much? A penny is so small. If you take a penny and double it every day for 30 days, I mean, that can't amount to a lot, can it? I, I did the math this week. On day one, I said, all right, I'm doubling it. Day one, I have two pennies. Day two, I got four. Day three, how many we got? Eight, thanks for participating. Some of you are getting your iPhones out right now with a calculator. How far is he going with this? After 30 days, you will have over $10 million. And you're saying, wow. Now, if either of you want to offer me either one of those, I'm glad to take either one of them. But the reason we're amazed at that is we don't really get this exponential growth because a penny seems so small. And that's what Jesus tells these two parables about yeast and a mustard seed. Jesus takes the smallest possible seed in Israel of that day, the mustard seed. And he said, it's like taking that and planting it in the ground. That looks like nothing. You can barely see it. It's small, and yet when it grows up, it's the largest of all garden plants. It can be a, a tree that's 12 to 15 feet tall. In fact, birds can come and nest in its branches. Even though it's smaller than any other, in fact, the word smaller here means, it's the Greek word micros, where we kind of get the word microscopic. I'm teaching you two Greek words today, so hang on. It's smaller than any other, micros. When it's full grown, it's larger than any other, megos. What does that sound like? Sounds like megos. (laughs) Mega. Huge. So what's Jesus trying to say? He's trying to say the kingdom of heaven which has come among you may seem small, but the impact it's going to have is exponential. In fact, he said it's like leaven. A woman takes three pecks of flour, puts just a little bit of leaven in there and, and hides it literally. It means to mix it up, conceal it, 
And it's not long before that leaven ferments and grows. And so that all the bread is fermented. Reading this passage this week, I, I, I remember an experience I had in a pastor's house. This was back during the time when I, I traveled around and did youth events. And I think I was speaking to a college group in Winston-Salem. And the college pastor took me and the guy doing music over to the pastor's house. And he said, now, you're going to be staying here this weekend. Only one thing, he, the pastor and his wife aren't here. And it's a new house. They've just moved in a few weeks ago. So take care of everything. But they know you're going to come. I've got the key. They let us in. They said, but they'll come in late Saturday night. This is Friday night. So I was a little uncomfortable staying in somebody's house that I didn't know, especially when they weren't even there. But, the, you know, they had a little sheet of paper in there that said, make yourself at home. They said, Robert, you stay in this room, and this is your bathroom. Jack, you stay in this room. This is your bathroom. So Jack was actually using the master bathroom. And we had gone out with the college students that day and played volleyball and all that, came back to take a bath. And one of the things in the master bathroom was this huge jacuzzi tub well my little tub had a jacuzzi jets in it so i'd already gotten in there and, and squirted a couple little of the bubbles in there and i thought man these bubbles are this is incredible these bubbles just take off i'm like got bubbles everywhere so i get out i'm dressed and jack said well, i think i'm gonna get in the jacuzzi in the master bathroom i said i said man it is great i said take that little thing beside there and pump it five or six times <laughs> and so I kind of forgot I told him that, but he pumped it five or six times, and all of a sudden I hear him screaming from the bathroom. He said, help! I came in. He's hitting the button to turn the jets off. It won't cut off. And foam is going all over the bathroom. Now, it was like a I Love Lucy episode. Foam's everywhere. So I run out to the garage, and I find the control panel and cut the power off to the house. That was the only thing I could think of. Why isn't this button working? I mean, foam is all over the floor. It's about to get into the bedroom. It's crazy. A little bit of soap just on steroids had just turned off the power. And then I thought, all right, that solved the problem. But now i got to cut the power back on because they're coming in tonight. How am I going to explain this to them? This really is a Lucy episode. you got some explaining to do. As soon as I cut the power back on, their central vacuum cleaner came on. They had... I never lived in a house that had that, you know, but it had one of those central vacuum cleaners. You can plug a hose into the wall, and all of a sudden you got a vacuum cleaner. You just carry the little hose around. I don't remember how we got that to cut off, but I do remember thinking, I wish we weren't staying here. You know, we don't have these problems at the Hotel 8 or, you know, the Red Roof Inn or whatever. But it was an illustration of me how a little something turns into a lot of something once you added water to it and jets. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about exponential growth. In fact, if you think about it, the kingdom of heaven came in the form of a baby that was born and placed in a manger, seemingly insignificant. And yet the kingdom of heaven is now among you. Prophesied in the Old Testament is now among you. And he starts with just 12 followers. In fact, one of those becomes a betrayer. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, there's only about 120 people identified at that point with Christ. But what happens on the day of Pentecost? That little seed, that little baby has grown up and died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins of the world. Now 120 followers of Christ, some of those followers, the disciples go out and preach a message 
and 3,000 people were saved in one day. In fact, I love the book of Acts. They like counting. 3,000 saved in one day. A few, few chapters later, 5,000 are saved. And then after that, they quit counting. They just said multitudes. Can't even count them anymore. Multitudes are now part of the church. And folks, it spread from there to you eventually. And so two things about this exponential growth. The exponential growth of the kingdom happens both outwardly, but it also happens inwardly. Let's make it personal. What happened in your life? Somebody told you the message of Jesus planted a seed. Somebody else probably came along and watered that seed a little bit, fertilized it, cultivated it. And it grew into faith. You trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that has grown And now you're a child of the kingdom yourself. So what seems to be insignificant and small, whether it's exponential outward growth that we can see the church around the world, millions of people, or if it's just that nugget that got planted in you that has now turned into a faithful believer of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is about exponential growth. In fact, that's the whole beauty of discipleship discipleship really wouldn't happen if the preacher was the only one telling people about jesus but where it happens is one person tells a person now there's two those two people tell somebody now there's four those four people tell somebody now there's eight see how it happens you can be a part of the growth of the kingdom of heaven by being a part of discipling other people, leading them to faith in Christ, and walking with them so that they are fully developed as a follower of Jesus, and now now they're telling other people. The kingdom of heaven has an exponential impact, but it also has an infinite value. Jesus tells them two parables to illustrate this. First, he said it's like a treasure hidden in a field. I don't know if any of you are still hiding stuff in a field. Maybe you're afraid of banks, and so you're hiding stuff under your mattress. By the way, if you're hiding anything under your mattress, just know that's the first place that criminals look. But I've heard of people that still hide money in coffee cans and bury it in the yard. And that was a big deal in Israel for this reason. They never knew when an enemy was going to come and overrun the country, and so they wanted their valuables out of sight. They didn't have safety deposit boxes to hide it in, so they would put it in jars and hide it in a field. What happens if they've hit it in the field and an enemy comes through and kills them or chases them off their land and now possesses their land? The enemy doesn't know that treasure's there. So it could have been there for years. And somebody comes working that field and discovers that jar that had all those valuables in it. In fact, there were laws in Israel at that time of what you had to do when that happened. And basically, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Y'all ever heard that? But it's interesting, man finds it, and he hides it again. To show you the morality of this guy, he's not going to use treasure that doesn't belong to him to go buy the field. So what does he do? He sells everything he's got. Because he has found something more valuable than anything he was holding on to. In fact, the word everything he has literally means to hold. So he takes everything he's got sells it, gets the money, and goes and buys that field. Why? Because he wants the value of what he found in that field. 
tells another story about a merchant seeking fine pearls. This was somebody that apparently spent some time on the ocean, passenger on ships, probably had pearls, but he was in look for pearls. Back. One of the reasons they had pearls back then, that, that was another way to hide money. You could get a pearl and hold on to that instead of carrying around a bunch of coins with you. But he found a pearl of great value. And it was so valuable that he went and sold everything he had just to obtain that pearl. What's the truth about these two guys? The truth about those two guys is they looked at everything they had and said, this over here is more valuable than anything I got. And it reminds me of another story. A man came to Jesus in Luke chapter 17 and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember what Jesus said to him? He said, well, you know, obey the commandments. And the guy said, hey, I've done that since my youth up. And Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you've got and distribute it to the poor. And come follow me. Remember what the guy did? Scholars tell us this is the only guy that left Jesus sad. In fact, it says when Jesus said, go sell everything you got, distribute it to the poor, and come follow me, it says the man's face fell because he had a lot of stuff. And what he was saying is, I got stuff in this hand. I want this, but I'm not willing to give this up to get it. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is of infinite value. And because the value is infinite, there's nothing you're holding on to that's more valuable than that. So these two men, whether it was the one that finds a treasure in the field or the one who finds this pearl of great value, they're willing to give up everything, holding nothing back, so they could obtain the one thing that you can't lose. In fact, for people that are holding on to treasure today, isn't it amazing that they're holding on to something they can't keep? You've heard the stories. You know, how, he was so wealthy, how much did he leave behind? The answer is, all of it. And I love the people that say, I've never seen a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. I have. There's pictures of them now. But you're not taking any of it with you. And so that man that finds that treasure in the field says, I, I will get rid of everything I've got that's valuable to me because this is more valuable. The merchant says, I've got pearls now and I've got a lot of treasure, but this is more valuable. So men and women, when you come to faith in Christ, what you're really saying is, i got a lot of stuff that's all about me. But to come to faith in Christ, I'm willing to give all that up and follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, I'm not sure if, well, this part, Jesus has already kind of taken the disciples in the house. I'm not sure that the Pharisees and Sadducees were hearing this parable or not, but I can tell you if they heard it or heard about it, they weren't going to follow Jesus because they wanted to hold on to their stuff. And some of their stuff was religion. They had been scrupulous followers of the law. Faithful followers of what they thought they were supposed to do. And Jesus came and changed all the price tags. And he said, what you think is valuable is keeping you from God. You need to get rid of it. Give it up. And come follow me. There is an exchange in salvation. Here's the good news. It's you get rid of the old and you get the new. 
And then the last parable Jesus teaches is very similar to the end of the wheat and tares that we looked at last week. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea. There were three ways to fish in ancient Israel. In fact, you can fish these three ways over in the Waccamaw River. I guess you could do it out in the Atlantic Ocean. One is you could bait a hook, cast a line, and hope a fish hits it. And you'll catch a fish enough to feed yourself, maybe a couple of people. Another way is to is a cast net. You can see people using cast nets right here in the inlet getting shrimp. It's a net with some weight on it. You kind of throw it out. Well, fishermen in Israel, they'd use that. They'd go out on a boat. One person could pretty much throw this net out, sinks to the bottom, and you don't know what you're going to get, but hopefully there's some fish in there. Over here, hopefully, there's some shrimp in there. But those aren't the kind of fishing methods Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a dragnet fishing. So he tells a story that they had seen probably that day. People out with this dragnet. They tell me that some of the dragnets would have covered a square mile. And you either had the dragnet between two boats or probably you had one that was anchored to the shore and then you got in a boat and sailed out into kind of a big circle with this huge dragnet of all these ropes interwoven together. You had floats on the top and weights on the bottom. So it basically just created a huge fence in the water. And it would take all day and it would take a lot of men to operate the dragnet. And so Jesus is using another picture that they had seen probably that day. He said the kingdom of heaven's like that. And some of these disciples, what they do for a living? Fishermen. They had probably operated a seine net or a dragnet. And so Jesus is telling them a story that they really identified with and started to understand the kingdom of heaven is going to be like that. Yeah. Here's what's happening. The net is being spread right now. And one day it's going to be pulled ashore. Now, for what they had seen, that pulling to shore happened every day. And they would watch him. They would pull it to shore. And what happens if you pull a net to shore? What's going to be in that net? Not just fish. I have fished before. Cast a line. Kind of do this. And, oh, man, I caught something. You set the hook and reel it in. And what have you got? A stick bass. You can't eat stick basses. We call them stick bass. But all it is a stick. You might catch an old shoe. You might catch some trash in the water. And that's exactly what you would catch in that dragnet. Some of what's going to be in there is just sticks, debris, trash that somebody's thrown over the side, and then some of it's going to be fish. And so they've got to sit there and sort all that out. And the worthless stuff, they throw away. The fish, the stuff they want to keep, they put into containers. In fact, they are finding in excavation right now in the, around the Sea of Galilee, they're actually finding containers that were live wells that thousands of years ago they were using to, to keep fish alive to sell to people and probably even transport them inland alive. So that's the story that Jesus tells them, and the part that starts hurting is when he makes the spiritual application because he says the fish, the good fish, are going to be placed into containers. But the worthless, the bad things, the rotten, putrid things are going to be thrown away. And Jesus is saying that applies to some of you that I'm talking to. 
He's saying that there's some who will follow me as Lord and Savior who are going to be caught up in the dragnet at the end of the age. And they're going to hear, welcome into my kingdom. There's others that are going to be compared to worthless sticks, trash, debris. And the sad thing is some of those people are going to think they were part of the kingdom. In fact, they're not just going to be thrown away. They're going to be thrown into a furnace of fire. I said this last week because he mentions this last week. We looked at the passage, furnace of fire. I thought, is there any other kind of furnace? I want to be thrown into a furnace of snow cones. But furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping, literally to wail aloud, as opposed to another word for crying that means silent sobbing. He's saying in that place there will be loud wailing. And there will be gnashing of teeth, literally grating of teeth. I want to read you a paragraph. We don't talk a lot about hell. Some preachers want to kind of minimize hell. And a lot of people are just hoping it's annihilation. They're hoping at the end of the age, okay, if this does happen and I don't make it, I'm just annihilated. I don't know any better. That's not what the Bible says about hell. Jesus talks a lot about hell. The Bible talks a lot about hell. John Bunyan lived a long time ago. Here's what he wrote. In hell thou shalt have none but a company of damned souls with an innumerable company of devils to keep company with thee. While thou art in this world, the very thought of the devils appearing to thee makes thy flesh to tremble and thine hair ready to stand upright on thy head. But, oh, what will thou do when not only the supposition of the devils appearing, but the real society of all the devils of hell will be with thee, howling, roaring, and screeching in such a hideous manner that thou wilt be even at the wit's end and ready to run stark mad again for anguish and torment. If after 10,000 years an end should come, there would be comfort. But here is thy misery. Here thou must be forever. When thou seest an innumerable company of howling devils thou art amongst, thou shalt think this again. This is my portion forever. When thou hast been in hell so many thousand years as there are stars in the firmament or drops in the sea, or sands on the seashore, yet thou hast to lie there forever. Oh, this one word, ever, how will it torment thy soul? John Bunyan, in his story of hell. Those are things that aren't pleasant to think about. And I said this last week, I'll repeat it again. I'm not going there. I hope you're not. How can we be sure that we're not? You become a follower of Jesus Christ. You become a part of the family reunion. And it's not just a birthright. You've got to be adopted. You come to Jesus and you acknowledge, I need you. That's what the religious people wouldn't do. They, they would not acknowledge they needed a Savior. Why? Because they were born into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, you got there the same way I got there. And that is, I had to acknowledge I need a Savior. And I became a follower of Jesus Christ. That's good news. As bad as that story is, the good news of heaven is so much better. Because you're in the presence of God for eternity. And it's good. In fact, this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. If you have a bad day this week, you can think about it. If you're a child of God, you can say, this is as close to hell as I'll ever get. Because what I'm looking forward to, the inheritance that's laid up for me, is treasure in heaven. And folks, it's worth so much 
that I willingly gave up anything that I could claim as a human to follow Jesus, to get hold of that. And just in case you're thinking that God takes pleasure, I've just got two verses to close with. God doesn't take pleasure in condemning people to hell. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, God speaking says, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Says the Sovereign Lord, of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about His promise. It's some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If you go to hell, it's going to be because you sent yourself there. And it's an awful place. If you go to heaven, it's going to be because you responded to the call of Christ to follow me. That's what Jesus did for three years in his ministry. He called people to follow me. He called these fishermen, put down your nets, followed me. He called tax collectors that were looked at as the scourge of the earth by the people of that day. Follow me. Have you ever done that? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you for the promise of heaven. Lord, we don't like talking about the alternative, but it's real. And there's people, maybe in this room, certainly people will come in contact with this week that don't know you, and that is their outcome. God, use us to tell people about the infinite value of the kingdom of God. Bless us, Lord, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.